Yes, I think that was exciting when I was learning about magic. It was like, well, this is art. This is how artists create. Like we're basically channeling, we're tapping into our higher self or our soul or our guides. And there's like a mysterious element to it, but also a familiarity. If you are creative, you know when inspiration hits, you know when you've like tapped into that amazing flow and, and you hope it lasts forever. And it's very similar when you're doing a ritual or you're channeling for spiritual purposes. It's hard for me to separate the two out because they're very much the same. The only way I can do that is to say one is for the purpose of creating some form of art and the other witchiness is about creating your life, co-creating your life, which also can be an art. But when I think about it, to try to define what each of those are, that's probably how I would do that. That was a clip from my friend Silky's podcast. I'm going to try my best to say this correctly, and I'm probably going to fail quite badly. So I will link to this in the show notes, but the name of her podcast is Lebenskienstler. It is a German podcast, but I was the first English-speaking guest on the show, and you can listen to it entirely in English. We talked about witchcraft and creativity, and then neither one of us knew that the conversation would eventually turn to discussing my experience with post-traumatic stress disorder, but that's what happens when you ask me about my past and my creative past because I'm a very creatively driven person and PTSD is something that has been an obstacle for me in that way because the symptoms of it emerge. I am triggered anytime I really put myself out there. And this used to happen, especially when I was young and she was asking about my past. So I shared that. If that's something that you're interested in, again, I will link to it in the show notes. If you just want to put it in in a search bar to find the podcast, it is L-E-B-E-N-S-K-Y-N-S-T-L-E-R. And Silky is a very lovely person who speaks both German and English, which I find very impressive. Welcome to episode number 20 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic, including today's amazing guest, Cindy Dale, intuitive energy healer and the author of almost 30 books now, including The Subtle Body, an encyclopedia of your energetic anatomy, energy healing for trauma, stress, and chronic illness, and her latest advanced chakra healing. We had a grand old time talking about all kinds of weird things that have happened to us each on our own spiritual journey. And she is so fun and easy to talk to that I found myself letting my guard down in terms of sharing things that I don't normally share with the public, which I also did on Silky's podcast. I don't know what's going on with me lately because I have learned over the years to keep the more woo stories about myself 
private because it can bring out some strange energy from the internet. <laughs> I get some strange messages when I share these things. Or maybe sometimes I'll just, if I really must, I'll share them over on Patreon because there's just a different comfort level beyond that magical paywall. So I'm going to blame Cindy for today's unusual openness. And I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it one bit. I think it is awesome that she has the talent to lure unsuspecting podcast hosts out of their comfort zone without even trying. Just by being her open-hearted, welcoming self. It's like she makes you want to volunteer these things. Just because I think you get the sense that she'll understand. And she's not going to judge you for it. And she might even know something about what's going on. I think that's that's what made me open up to her. So this episode is for the wooiest among you, as well as the woo curious, and also those who have a deep interest in the chakra system and how it works, which is really not so woo after all. This is ancient stuff, very much still in practice in the East, and that is often presented as being in contrast to, but can actually be quite complementary to a more Western allopathic approach. And many folks find healing and expansion when they go back to these old systems of understanding and they find resonance there. So... I don't think this is really out there today. I think you're going to love it and find it really interesting. So let's just get into it, okay? Okay, here she is, Cindy Dale. Oh, wait, nope, nope, I lied. First, I have to say, trigger warning. This is a trigger warning. We do quite quickly in this conversation get into a discussion about the trauma of growing up in a troubled home. I appreciate that she was open about that. But I know some folks that have a similar history might be sensitive and not want to be caught off guard with that. So you have been warned. Okay, so without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Joe. You have so much to offer and you have written so many books that I don't even know where to be begin with you. Maybe maybe you can begin with you and give my audience a sense of who you are if they don't know already, but because you've written so many books, I feel like they might. Well, they're not exactly the books you're going to pick up in a grocery line, though. <laughs> so, but they are the books that this audience will gravitate to. They are, and I think they're super cool books. I have written 30 books, and I have more coming out, and I look at that myself, and I'm like, my gosh, I look pretty good in the mirror for having written 30 books. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in a relatively short period of time. Was your first book published in 2005? Is that right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So I've really averaged about a book a year, you know, a little bit more than that, something like that. And they're all about energy chakras because I was one of those kids growing up where I could see energy. 
I heard spirits and ghosts and saw colors coming off of my parents. So, you know, it's sort of cheating when you have some of those intuitive insights at a really young age. I already knew when I was going to get in trouble. So I would go hide. You know, I knew when my dad was going to come home and drink because he was in a bad mood. So I would, again, I would just go hide. (laughs) And so, you know, my intuition was sort of an early coping mechanism which then, you know, kind of followed, you know, with traditional coping mechanisms in my teen years, food issues, compulsivity, this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, it all kind of works out in the wash because I've just become this avid kind of eager beaver about learning about all things energy, intuition, energy, quantum physics. And I really think we're also supposed to be living a real life. So I don't just write books and work. I do a real life. I've got dogs. I've got a cat that I babysit. I was a single mom. I'm still a single mom and love to travel and, you know, believe that we're here to live, not just, you know, sort of like be all mystical all the time. Right. Sitting on the mountaintop. Yeah, it doesn't really work. If I were sitting on a mountaintop, I'd be miserable because it's Mm. usually cold. It's cold on mountaintops and you have to hike up to mountaintops. I don't want to hike up that high. You said something about knowing when you were going to be in trouble and your, your dad coming home, maybe. And if he's in a bad mood, he might drink and kind of getting an energetic heads up on that. And that's a really interesting thing that jumped out at me because I have found just in working with people over the years that one of two things can happen if somebody, and I'm not saying you grew up in a traumatic home or that you were traumatized when you were a kid, but when people are, or if they have parents that might be an alcoholic or might have a temper, they either completely shut down or they become hypervigilant and really, really sensitive. And in a way it almost enhances their energetic gifts, but almost to their detriment to where they actually have to then learn how to navigate that and ground themselves. Is that something you can relate to? Absolutely. And I would agree in my own life. And as I've worked with clients and observed other people, there really are those, just those two different schisms that get created. There's the people who are like, this is way too much. I don't want to know more about the chaos and the enmeshment and, you know, kind of the trauma. And so, you know, it's like, hear no evil, see no evil, feel no evil. So it doesn't exist. So then their intuition isn't open. I did become hypervigilant as a coping mechanism, but it was really, it really caused havoc in my life Mm -hmm. too, because I'd been that human sponge feeling everybody's feelings and knowing what's going to happen in their lives and not knowing is my anxiety because something's going to happen that's negative to me or to someone else. And my family was horrific. I I mean, there was a certain amount of love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, it was alcoholism physical abuse, sexual abuse. My mother was mentally ill, you know, and yet on the surface, it was this white wonder bread, Norwegian Lutheran, go to church and eat potlucks and, you know, kind of sugar cookies. And it looked so good, which made it even crazier. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make me doubt my own intuition too. So even though my intuition was too strong in many ways, and I was too open and 
taking in too much. Um, I neither did I totally trust it because what I knew to be true was so different than what others saw from the outside. I think many of us sensitives relate to stories like that. Definitely. Yes. And thank you so much for sharing all of that because it really puts in context your work. And I've seen you referred to as a teacher's teacher. You have empowered many a sensitive person to not just heal their own lives, but then to actually make that their business and make that the work that they do in the world. And I'm wondering if you became such an expert in this field because you were trying to figure this out for yourself. Like what drove you to sustain your energy level for this particular subject for so many years and so many books. You're so intuitive. You're so on. I love you. (laughs) Well, I, I do think for most of us, our calling comes out of that central question. Like, who am I really? And, you know, and then also how do I heal so I can be who I really am. And so even though when I first kind of entered the so-called career world, um, you know, and I was, you know, on my own from the age of 18 on. And so I put myself through college. I waitressed, I had my adventures and, you know, et cetera. And I went first into public affairs. I actually taught business ethics of all things, which is sort of a cool thing to have done. The backdrop was always, you know, what is this? You know, how do I, how do I figure out who I really am? How come I know what I know? How come I get dreams? How come I hear knocking at night? How come I have this pain on the inside? How come I know who's going to phone, you know, before they phone on the telephone? And those essential questions that I think really are almost like what Apollo said, you know, first know thyself, Mm. probably second know thyself because otherwise you can't really know anybody else either because it was all ingrained with the mystical, with the intuitive, with what now we call energy. But when I was starting out, we called psychic, you know, I had to take psychic classes and I was really lucky. I traveled in my twenties. I went to other countries. I met shamans. I met healers. I met people in indigenous cultures who believed in the invisible. And so I could go somewhere else and figure out a little bit of myself and normalize what here in America was just seen as psychotic, not just Mm -hmm. psychic. And I started therapy when I was 19 or 20. I mean, with a traditional family systems therapist and my work has combined especially what I learned in other countries with, you know, with real salt of the earth, we've been doing this for generations, kind of healers and teachers with therapy. And you know what you learn in therapy, you learn boundaries. (laughs) You've heard something called boundaries. And I'll tell you, I don't know how you've learned about intuition, et cetera. But when I took my first classes, they were sort of insane. I remember one very well-known teacher just saying, okay, you're going to learn how to do channeling. Just sit here and talk to a dead person. And I'm like, why do I want to talk to a dead person? I'm struggling to sometimes talk to living people. I mean, I'm shy, but I felt this weird feeling in my neck and, you know, hot and tingly. And this voice popped up in my head and said, hi, I'm Tom. And I said, 
who are you, Tom? He goes, yeah, I'm a dead sailor. And I go, go get your own body. <laughs> so intuitively, like you just intuitively, said that. <laughs> intuitively, that was in an intuitive development class. So pretty early on when I'm learning about energy and intuition and psychism and all this kind of stuff, I was also in therapy figuring out you deserve to have boundaries. You deserve to have no, you deserve to say, I don't want somebody to touch my body. I don't want to be where I don't want to be. I don't want to just drink, you know, under the table because my family members are drinking themselves under the table. So while I'm developing a sense of, you know, kind of having, you know, proprietary knowledge of myself mm. and I was learning about energy, those two worlds came together. Oh, so good. And it also is making me think about you teaching business ethics because this business can be quite unethical at times. And I feel like that adds another layer of boundary to bring that understanding to this work as well. That's a really good point. The spiritual business is not <laughs> really that nice of a world most of the time. That was kind of a shock to me. I had been teaching business ethics and I went into fundraising for a really cool nonprofit company. And then I heard this voice. I just had my oldest son and I heard this voice say, you know, quit your job. And I'm like, well, I don't want to quit my job. I need money. Well, quit your job. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And it's like, start your own business. So that was my guiding voice. So I quit my job. I tried starting a business doing nonprofit fundraising and consulting, et cetera. And just for the heck of it, I made business cards for giving psychic readings. I went to pick them up. They were pink with roses on them. I was so embarrassed. I was so, I don't really, really want to do this for a living. This is like a weird thing to be that when I got the business cards, I was going to go home and throw them away. And on the edge of the box, there was a single business card. And this woman next to me at the line, you know, waiting to pick up whatever she was picking up said, Oh, do you do psychic readings? And I sort of mumbled yes. And sort of mumbled no. And she said, well, I'm a hairdresser. I'll send you people. And then I was going in this business. It was sort of like being Nighting. dragged into it. But, you know, I have been surprised at how many people in this business are wanting to avail themselves of readers, healers, et cetera, lack ethics and boundaries. I, years and years ago, when my first book came out, I had a publisher from, I think it was Holland, call me up. They were going to bring me over to teach and say, do you know XYZ? And it was a very well-known author. And I said, yeah, I think she's terrific. And he said, well, she's criticizing you everywhere. She's calling all her publishers and saying we should not be printing your books. And so right from the get-go, I was like, you know, this is sort of a dog-eat-dog business too. Yeah. And there's spiritual people who take advantage and frankly, I have seen too people who come to spiritual people who just want to hear what they want to hear. <laughs> and, and you can make a lot of money telling them what they want to hear. Yeah. Even if you're making it up just so they'll pay you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. So 
it's a business. It is a business and you have to have your own ethics in it and be willing. I have found I need to be willing to turn people away if I know I can't help them, or maybe if they really are more needing a psychiatrist, you know, than an intuitive. And so you have to be on your feet and have to be honest. You have to, I think you're supposed to be no matter what, but it's a very transparent business. So I think we need to be really transparent with ourselves too. Yeah. Speaking of transparent, I kind of like grabbed onto a couple of different things you said. One was about being a kid and being able to see people's energy. And then a couple different times you said you literally would hear, you know, like, like a voice told me this. I'm wondering, I added the word literally. Are you saying literally or are you hearing it in your mind? I've had clear audience experiences that really freaked me out because I could hear someone's voice they were telling on themselves which was absolutely bizarre (laughs) and i could literally hear his voice in my ear telling me what he had done and it turned out he had but it was it felt external if that makes sense i heard it like you would hear the radio so when you say you heard this sailor or you heard a voice within tell you such and such is where's that coming from well, it's, it's, it's sometimes I hear my own voice in my head. Okay. 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 Typically the voice is internal, but not my voice or external and not my voice. So I've had both. There's a voice that comes to me. You could call it God, soul, whatever word people want to use. All right. Yeah. That it, it comes in frequently, but it is the guiding voice for me. It's always in my right ear. It's not my voice. You know, it sounds a little bit like, you know, all the really deep, you know, voiced men who play God in the movies. <laughs> so it's not my voice, you know, that just come in and give me a sentence. It tells me something, do this, don't do this. This is going to happen. Go create this. And so I know that as my ultimate guiding voice. When I work with clients, sometimes I hear voices that like you're saying might be their voice telling me what they went through, say when they were four years old and got abused, you know, or whatever it might be. And, or I hear their guides talking to me and I know it's not my voice. Hmm. I have a really funny story about that. This is, this is kind of one of my favorite client experiences. A few years ago, a woman called me and I work typically, you know, virtually I work really actually usually on the landline because often the zoom doesn't work for me. If I'm doing client work, I I just think it's an energetic thing. So you know, give me a good old landline and I know I'm going to be able to work. So this woman called me up and she was in a really strange situation. Her husband was dying, but living with another woman. And she really wanted to make sure that he, when he was going to kick the bucket, was leaving her all his money. I'm like, oh my God, why don't you just call a lawyer? But anyway, (laughs) so, (laughs) so, you know, and I'm, there's not that much to say because it really is, well, call a lawyer. And at some point she said to me, well, I, you know, really want to give a TED talk. I want to be a TED talk speaker. And this voice came in my head. It's not my God voice, right? It's not my voice. It's an external voice. I think one of her guides that said, she doesn't have anything to teach at a TED talk. And my own personal head is going, well, that's kind of rude. I don't really think I should just say it that way to her. (laughs) So I framed it like, well, what do you think you would teach about? She goes, well, I don't know. You're supposed to tell me. So instead of right, making something up, 
the voice that I had heard during my session with her that had said she doesn't have anything to teach at a TED Talk gave me a vision of himself. It was great. I don't, you don't make this stuff up. You know, when you're really getting an external energy or entity, you would not make it up. You know, it's not your brain. Okay. And I saw this man in a kitchen. He was naked. He was wearing an apron on the front of him and he was singing. And I said to my client, you know, I hearing the voice of somebody and this is what he's showing me. He looks like. And she goes, oh, that's my dead brother. I go, well, how do you know it's your dead brother? And she said, well, he was a cook and he um, was homosexual and he liked walking around his kitchen when he was cooking for himself naked and he was a singer. And suddenly the dead brother in my head burst into song and he was singing to me that if she really wanted to make money, using her gifts, she should write trashy novels and base it on what her husband was doing. So you can't make this stuff up, can it's you? It's so specific. So I told her this is what her dead brother was singing. And she did say he was an opera singer too. And she, she basically slammed her phone down after saying, I can't believe I'm supposed to stoop so low as to write trashy novels. And I thought, well, there goes her million dollars. <laughs> so, you know, I hear the voices in my head, but I know when they're not mine. Yeah. And when I get images, it's not my head making them up because why would I picture a naked man singing in a kitchen wearing an apron? It's so, so specific. Yeah, I'm not going to make that up, right? That's not my fantasy. That's not going to come out of my fantasy, you know, imagination. So... That's the neat thing about intuition. And it sounds like you have found that too, that when it's actual or a visitation, you just kind of know it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm more in the mystery of it. Like what in the heck is this? It's not, it's not my business. I don't do this for other people, but I've had some interesting experiences. And what you said about the right ear really resonates with me. Why too? Because <laughs> I will always hear in my right ear. And also I started channeling when I was very young. I've done it for a couple of decades now. And something that happens when I'm channeling just for myself, it could just be my higher self or my guides. I'm not really sure what's coming through, but it's very loving. It's always positive. It's always useful. My head will jerk to the right consistently. And I don't know why, but it's always the same side. Isn't that sort of interesting? It's, it's the right so side strange. Yeah. You Is know, there some meaning behind that? Well, here's what I know. Here's what I know from the energetic circuit. The left side of the body is typically feminine and receptive. And the right side is typically what we would call, right, as humans, more masculine and doing. So mm -hmm. I think I've usually figured that that voice talks to me on the right because it's usually sort of bossing me around. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always thought of it as like a, you know, kind of a super, super dad that's like, now do this and don't do that kind of thing. 
but you know, it might be just different for each of us too. My left side, I don't hear as much with, you know, kind of my left ear, but I get more senses on the left side of my body, empathic senses. You know, if I'm going to relate to somebody's feelings or emotions or, you know, kind of what they're going through or even smelling, you know, kind of the presence of a being, it's more through my left side. So I might be just sort of classically, you know, this side has this job and my, you know, other side has that job. But I think it's really good we're talking about this so people can pay attention for themselves, too. I'm a little bit afraid to bring this up because I feel like the questions are just going to be endless. So I'll start by saying you have a book called Advanced Chakra Healing that people might want to check out after they listen to this. But also, I got an email from your publisher about activating the red and golden kundalini. And I read a bit about that. And it's fascinating to me. It's really, really interesting And you're talking about the red kundalini being, I think what most of us who understand something about kundalini, we're familiar with that rising energy, but then you're also talking about the golden kundalini, which is kind of like this descending energy from above. And I'm wondering where can we go with this? Because it's so rich and there's so many layers. I'm interested in this. Oh, and this is sort of like hours and hours. So I love talking about Kundalini. And most of us are aware from Kundalini yoga or, you know, breathing exercises or meditation or Hindu and Tibetan philosophies, et cetera, that there's what's typically seen as a red kundalini, a serpent kundalini that rises. You know, most people think from the first chakra, I actually think we're supposed to bring it up from the earth, to be really honest. So we have a little groundedness in our approach. But a lot of people, you know, are trained to cultivate that rising kundalini. And it kind of has a bad name sometimes. It can be very fiery. I think of that red kundalini that comes up as very chemical and very electrical. In the Hindu storyline, it's seen as the shakti or the feminine energy and it rises and it goes through our chakras or our memory glands and our nervous system and it can just zing us out because it's a call to work through our issues. You know, it's a call to kind of raise our vibration and our energy, but you can't do that unless you work through your issues or your blocks. And so it can be very charging and challenging for people. I've had people come into me who have had a partially rising red kundalini and it gets stuck somewhere and they're just jerking around. One woman had been literally jerking her right shoulder jerked for 12 years. So people are, you know, scared of this one. I I think it is a very electrical energy and we're electrical beings. Our spine, which holds the center of most of our chakras is electrical. It's electrical magnetic. It's sound. We're just oscillating fields of light and sound. So, you know, it's a way that we can kind of clean the body so our soul can be more embodied. But what a lot of people don't ever read, and it's in the literature, not just the Hindu literature, but other literature is okay, great. This red energy comes up. It does all this dancing in your head. And then what? It actually does spur a falling kundalini. It's actually supposed to be followed by a kundalini that creates a golden nectar, different names. 
uh, you know, set in different passages, Amrita, you know, a Tejas, a golden nectar that comes down the body and it falls through the roof of the mouth. It goes down to the throat chakra and it spins there for a while and it opens up our higher abilities and it keeps cleansing our body. So, you know, if you're only following a practice that's trying to raise your serpent kundalini, you're only going to get halfway to enlightenment. Hello. <laughs> and you might be miserable while you're doing it because that golden kundalini can even be done first. I think it's also very physical and spiritual that when it's descending, it's actually activating certain hormones and neurotransmitters and different, you know, kind of ingredients in the body that are very calming, that open our higher abilities, you know, that bring us a sense of peace, of wonder, that help our soul negotiate even further into the body. So, you know, there's even a third type of Kundalini, but it's super easy. It's just called radiance and it's easy and it's wonderful. But I often actually encourage people if their red Kundalini is causing problems or they can't get it to rise, you know, sort of like forget about it for a while and just ask spirit, whatever you, you know, kind of entrain to, to just open that beautiful heavenly energy to come down and start working through your body, start letting your spirit get embodied because you can always then open up more of the electrical channels after, and they're not going to be so um, terrifying in your polyvagal, in your nervous system, you know, as if you're only working on that red Kundalini. Wow. Am I allowed to tell a story here? <laughs> I would love if you would tell a story here. <laughs> okay. Well, what I have a question and a story. I'll throw the question out just quick and then I'll tell the story. So when I channel, this is the story, I feel it as a descending energy from the crown of my head. It comes down. It's very, very tingly. And I can do it very quickly now because I've been doing it for so long. So I'm wondering, mm, is that this golden energy? I don't know. It sounds like it might be, but years, many, many years ago, definitely more than a decade, maybe 15 years ago when YouTube was still fairly new and exciting, I was doing these hour long Kundalini workouts. I loved them. They were really interesting. I enjoyed the movement. I was curious about Kundalini, but I had seen a lot of warnings. And during this time, I was driving down the coast at night, riding in the passenger seat and full disclosure, I had a little bit of pot. I had smoked a little bit of pot. I was very relaxed. I'm good with it. I'm okay. good. <laughs> the stars were shining. <laughs> we're driving along the ocean. And all of a sudden, my head jerked to the side like it does, like I explained, but very violently. And my feet started pedaling like I was riding a bike. And this very low, guttural, masculine voice like was like, whoa, like came up from my guts and the person driving the car pulled over and said my face had completely changed and we were both just so spooked. I completely stopped doing it altogether. I was so weirded out and it's such a strange experience. <laughs> Is this what you're talking about, Cindy? Wow. I think that's, I, well, first of all, I do believe that that beautiful energy that comes down you is equivalent to the golden Kundalini. And isn't it sweet? It is like a nectar. It's, very gentle too. Oh, it's very gentle. And, 
you know, it's set up in the Hindu system to kind of be the reward for going through all that shaky stuff. But again, I believe people can just bring that in first, you know, and then just have a slower path, a more gentle path with that electrical energy. I think what you were feeling with the feet, you know, and that guttural, like, like Ugh. explosive energy. I think that's the equivalent of the serpent Kundalini. That's what I think it is. I think that's what it was. And it can be really big and explosive like that. I desensitize people to thinking it has to be actually a feminine energy, you know, cause they talk about the Kundalini as a, you know, kind of the shocky. First of all, who's to say what's feminine, what's masculine, mm -hmm. electrical energy in the body is actually kind of more that masculine, you know, that guttural, big, bold stuff. And I too had a couple of that red Kundalini awakenings and they were like wild. They were like, almost like too big out of body. What's going on mm -hmm. also. And I'm just going to throw this in there just because why not? right? That I also believe there's a radiant Kundalini. That's what I call it. And there's actually research that goes into ancient Hindu scripture that talks about three different types of Kundalini. And I don't know why that's been scrubbed. Okay. Hmm. I imagine the radiant Kundalini as coming from our internal, right? I think chakras have an inside wheel that has this sort of beautiful, absolute light. That's what scientists are starting to call it, like a very pure light. And the spine in Kundalini yoga has three levels to it. The very center level is a very pure spiritual light. So I believe too, that this radiant Kundalini is that pure light. And that probably the golden is like the mental and the psychological. And then the red Kundalini is that body power. Whoa. Like, ugh, you know, the big, the big, you know, they call it gross, right? The big physical stuff that's wow. just physiologically powerful. And that radiant Kundalini, again, I like sometimes telling people just start to let that open. But, you know, I had a recent experience. I've had two big experiences with the radiant Kundalini. I'm going to share the first. It was years ago because it kind of reminds me of your driving story, though I don't think it was the serpent Kundalini. It was the radiant. So years and years ago, I, I've been a single mom forever. I had my first son at that time, and I owned a little bit of land. I'm in Minnesota on the on the Mississippi river. And I was so busy as a single mom. We, we went there on the weekends, but I didn't get really many vacations. I didn't have the time. I didn't have the money. So literally if I did have a day off, I would drive, it's sort of ridiculous, but I would drive to my land. I would mow it and drive home. And that was like, okay, whatever, <laughs> you know, you get your joy, however you can get your joy. So I'm driving home. I have to pick my son up at, you know, later that night at like eight, it's already a little dark out. And I drank diet Coke at that time. I'm admitting it. That's, I think pot's better for you than diet Coke, really. <laughs> and so I'm drinking one of those huge slurpy diet Cokes. I've got to stay awake, whatever. And all of a sudden this white light came in through my window and hit me like every part of me and I turned white, everything turned white. And I heard this voice. There's the voice in the right ear that said, I am love. Mm. And, but I was so shocked. I was like, I think I've got too much 
caffeine in my system. You know, when you get these great moments, sometimes you're just not prepared for them. So I pulled off the road. I sat there. I'm shaking. I'm like, I'm just going to quit Diet Coke. Uh, This is not, (laughs) you know, I just like my head exploded. So I got back on the road and I'm like, Diet Coke be gone. I poured it out. Obviously it's not out of my system. And I felt Christ, not in a Christian way, but kind of in a universal way, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden come in through the backside of my heart and say, this is how I see the world. And everything was just white. It was just white. And the, the feeling I got was like when people talk about heaven on earth, but it was more like heaven is in earth. Like if you could, but know it, you could help turn earth into it. And at that time, you know, I really did just stop chastising myself for the Diet Coke, but I thought, you know, this is a different kind of Kundalini and there actually is a different type of Kundalini in some of the ancient literature that's really just about how we're supposed to live. Certainly not perfectly, you know, you're still human, but in a way that we get to experience the world, right? The way that we want to. And, you know, since then, that's been my goal is how do I live that way? How do I be perfectly human, right? Perfectly sometimes sane and sometimes insane and, you know, just normal and do the laundry and, you know what I mean, make the money and show up for my clients, you know, but live where there's an intersection of these three kundalinis and what they represent too. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting too, how it's in the most normal moments sometimes that you're struck by insight or a really moving experience spiritually. You're just folding your laundry, minding your own business. And all of a sudden all is love or whatever, you know, it seems like the practice maybe that you put in, it shows up when you're in a mindless state, just doing something like driving your car or doing the dishes or taking a shower. I totally agree. Cause when everybody's talking about mindfulness, I'm sort of trying to go toward mindlessness because <laughs> <laughs> my brain, yeah, it's useful. Right. But it's not going to come up with this stuff. And it really is in those surprising moments. I, my youngest son plays baseball a few years ago, you know, and baseball's almost always cold at the high school and college level. It starts in February, March, and I don't care where you are, it's cold. It's just cold. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting at a game three, four years ago, Fargo, North Dakota. It's like April, it's freezing, and I'm miserable. I'm trying to pretend that I'm not just looking at my phone the whole time because you're supposed to pay attention, right? And all of a sudden, the world just turned a little white again. And I saw these two little kids playing and I just felt how loved they are by the universe and the universe loves them more than their parents did. I could feel it. And I thought, wow, what a neat thing to know. Cause I'm like, what I'm like a little kid there too. And we're just like really loved. And you know, the, the, the pitching went on, the game went on. I think we lost, you know, the skies opened up and poured cold rain and, you know, so nothing really changed in the external, but that awareness, you know, just anytime we get those, I think there's just, we're, we're, we're left, you know, as a little better and maybe we do, you know, a little better in our lives too. When you say everything went white, 
Are you talking about like a white light? Yeah, it was white. It was like white. And, you know, it's kind of corny, right? Because people talk about the white light and Mm -hmm. the white light experience at near death. And now there's this big quibble. Do Do people really go through a tunnel and see a white light? Or is that just hormones that are created as you're dying? And it's probably both. But it is sort of interesting because about a month ago, I did some journeying. I went and spent a weekend with two therapists. So for a whole day and a half, they just helped me with journeying. I mean, talk about selfish. How awesome, right? Yeah. And I was aware that I was still anxious, that I still have some anxiety. I mean, we all have our thing. And my thing has been anxiety. But I was torn because some of my anxiety I knew was about being able to sense sometimes the future. So hypervigilance, you know, about the future. And some of it was just my old stuff, you know, from lives and growing up and whatever. So for a whole day and a half, I'm working, you know, with this and doing journeying and the culmination during that day and a half was all of a sudden my whole body flashed white. I saw nothing but white, real white in my body around me. My whole body just turned white and it was really white light. And it was almost like it was a rebirthing. And I was like, it doesn't matter if we're dead or alive when this happens. I mean, whatever we want to call that, there really is just a consciousness. There really is a oneness. I don't sit around and think about what it is. I don't have a name for it. I have fewer names for it now than I did ever, but I do believe there's some sort of a unifying love, you know, that's present and it's all that it is. And it doesn't matter if we're dead or alive. It just exists. Yeah. And experience is profound. It is. You've got to know it. I knew it in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating is I'm seeing a relationship between what you're saying about this radiant Kundalini being in the literature, like goes way back. And I'm thinking about this white light, that Christ consciousness and old, old ancient paintings throughout many different cultures, also depicting, you know, white halo of light and these things must be related, right? And they go back so far. It's fascinating that science now is starting to kind of sort of catch up a little bit. And these things have been here for thousands of years, this awareness. Yeah, it's an awareness and it's there. And there's some interesting, more cosmological labeling of light now where, and I used the term before, absolute light. I don't care what we call it, but scientists are saying, hey, there's a light in this universe that casts no darkness. And they see it in these twists of light in the universe. The, the universe is expanding, right? We've heard that it's accelerating, but there's these twists of light, like vortexes of light that don't move. And it's a light that creates no darkness. And it seems that there's also this cosmic background radiation that probably predates the Big Bang. And that same absolute light that's really still pure, that doesn't have opposite energy to it, maybe also is an echo from pre-Big Bang. So I think science and spirituality, if you go into underneath probably any 
spiritual, most spiritualities, most indigenous creation stories, even a lot of the what's in an Abrahamic religion talks about some source. I don't care what color you put on it. White works because it's such a pure energy that they're all kind of getting to this place that maybe we really are made of that. And maybe even the physical body can neurologically operate that way. I mean, all I know is for the past, you know, month, five weeks, six weeks, or whatever, since that last experience, I have felt really different. I've Mm -hmm. just, I'm more low key. I can close my eyes and just see that white light. And it's just there. I don't feel smarter. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? I just feel more trusting. I don't feel like the low level anxiety that I used to. You know, I'm just sort of hanging out on earth, which is kind of what we're supposed to be doing while we're alive. This is why I love experience, because the more I experience, the more I know I don't know. (laughs) I just lean into the not knowing, but also I can access those experiences. Like you were saying, like, okay, I've been to this place before, so I can access it again, which is exciting. And you talk a little bit about that. In one of your books, I wrote this down, Energy Healing for Stress, Trauma, and Chronic Illness. I love that that includes talk about the vagus nerve and epigenetics and psychoneuroimmunology, if I can say that word correctly. (laughs) And, and, And just different things you've said about energetic work, activating literally the biochemistry of your body. Because if you're a very anxious person, often very energetically sensitive people are, it's such a comfort to know that there are ways to calm yourself that literally impact the biochemistry of your body. Absolutely. And it's not about escapism, right? We're not exactly. Yes. You know what? We're in our lives. We're in our bodies. We're supposed to be fully embodied. You know, having a physical body is a really cool thing. And it's, it doesn't make us lower on some hierarchy than, you know, whatever you want to call an angel or a master who's floating around up there. It's such a gift to have a body and it's all made out of the same stuff. So I'm a real believer in studying and connecting biology, chemistry, science, quantum physics, spirituality, all of it comes together. So I don't have a lot of patience for people who just do meditation, who are just going, oh, let's just go, you know, float around Venus for a while. I'm like, while you're doing that, I have to cook dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I got kids, I got dogs. I've got, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I call it, I actually call it witching on the go. Like I'm just (laughs) grabbing all these little moments in my day. Like I'm taking a shower. How can I utilize this experience? You know, I'm going pee. What can I release right now? (laughs) It's totally how we're doing it. And I think, you know, I think we've had a few thousand years where it's been more of a patriarchy. Maybe before then it was more of a partnership model than dominator and, you know, all this kind of social study, you know, sort of stuff. But I do think the addition of the more the feminine philosophy, whether it's coming from men or women, is like, look, 
we got to fill the stew at night. So, (laughs) you know, so good for you, you know, that you can go escape and just live somewhere else and become a a Dalai Lama that way. But, you know, we got to be functional. So spirituality has to be terribly practical too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I know we're running out of time, but I really just want to have this fun moment with you. This is something I literally just found today that I'm so excited about because you coined a term called chakra. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Chakra Rupa. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Chakra Rupa. Okay. So (laughs) you may have noticed I'm a person that likes to make connections and I think you are too, which is how we got chakra Rupa maybe, but it's really about the way I understand it, and I will link to this in the show notes, it's about your dominant chakra and feng shui and decorating from that place. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, in human design, which I don't know how big of a fan I am of it, but in human design, I have what's called sacral authority. And my entire life, I've had a thing about the color orange my son, my son also does. It's a very weird favorite color, but it's just orange everything around here. <laughs> and I was putting like these things together, like, oh my gosh, these things kind of go together. So maybe yeah. I can get her to talk about oh what. Oh my this God, is. that's so great. You're bringing it up. So Rupa means form in Sanskrit and Hindu. Okay. So it's literally about what is your dominant chakra. And you're going to be happiest and most supported if you decorate by your dominant chakra. And I started working with dominant chakras like 20, 25 years ago. I think I read a book by some, by, I don't know how to say his name, Harish Jahari or something like that, where he was talking about chakra types and it was a really old book. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. So I kept working with it. I wrote a book about money and making money with your dominant chakra and this and that and the other thing with your dominant chakra. And, you know, because the theory is here we are, we're coming in to, you know, be who we are. And we have to have one or two chakras, most likely stronger than others in order to have the gifts available of that chakra. So a football player, you know, you gotta, while you're playing football, have a really strong first chakra that's physical. Um, You're an emotional person, a creative person. That's the sacral chakra. Uh, You know, kind of an opera singer really does have to have, you know, kind of fluidity and strength and empowerment in their fifth chakra. So you can kind of play with your personality that way. And why not decorate and support yourself with the colors, the influences, the different types of decorating that can come out of, you know, uh, dominant chakra. So that's what chakra root is all about. And you know, what's cool. My publish, my publicity people are really into this. Um, they got me on a whole bunch of day shows talking about chakra Rupa, which is just a hoot, isn't it? Oh, and so fun. I, so I know fun. I was even in house beautiful about decorating by your dominant chakra. So I really have to do more for it. And we all do. Cause you know, that second chakra is very bohemian and orange, by the way, is the happiest color. It makes people the cheeriest. I'm just going to add that by science. Orange is the happiest color. Love it. And that makes sense because my son literally, he has to eat from an orange bowl, drink from an orange cup, (laughs) wear orange every day. And he is the happiest person I know. I always say he's my role model for joy. So there you have it. (laughs) Cool. I have orange pets. So I, every single one of my R3 pets are orange. So maybe that (laughs) counts too. (laughs) You know what? I had never 
seeing you, it was in writing. It's, I will definitely link to this, like I said, but talking about the dominant chakra, I think before I read that this morning, if I would have heard that before, I would have been like, oh, well, we need to bring the chakras into balance. And, you know, I would see it maybe as an imbalance, but you're saying to embrace that. And that's fine. I say embrace it. And there is actually a lot of really cool science research right now that talks about how a person can have a more dominant endocrine gland and you need to feed your endocrine glands different ways or mm -hmm. exercise them different ways, you know, for them in different ways. And, you know, chakras are connected to endocrine glands too. So, you know, like if you're a really third chakra person, that's the solar plexus, it's yellow, you're very mental, intellectual, organized, doesn't it make sense that you want to support that third chakra, which gets used more on a daily basis than your other chakras so you can be who you are, that you want to support it with food, that you want to have that kind of really clean industrial design in your home or around yourself or dress for the part or kind of do the stuff that's going to upkeep the chakra that's working the hardest. So I think of it as that little chakra is the little engine that could, so you better feed it. You better give it what it needs to let it keep going. You are such an exciting person. Where, <laughs> Thank you. where can people go, especially people that are driving or doing dishes, they're not looking into their computer screen right now. Where can they go? What's an easy URL or an easy place to it, find you? It's so easy. It's easy. It's just my website, cindydale.com, spelled weird, C-Y-N-D-I, kind of like Cindy Lauper. I'm mm -hmm. blonde also. cindydale.com. Just go there and you're good. Perfect. This was wonderful. Okay. So before we wrap it up, I'm wondering... Maybe this is a big ask. It might be if you can share just the easy technique or little exercise that people can do just to get started playing around with energy or tapping into their own intuition. Oh, I have an easy one. It's a great one. And I call the very center of the heart chakra in the middle of your chest, in the middle of your spine. I like to call it the God spot or the divine spot. And I really believe in there. It's that's the easiest place to access your own spirit, you know, your own essence, which already gets everything, whatever you want to call the divine essence. And I believe that in there is like a little cell of gods. And I use the word God on purpose, because when we think of God, we're trained to think of somebody with a body. And I want you to think of it that way, like a cell of the universe that's actually real, that's physiological. And so when I work now where I teach people how to do energy, my students love this. They always just center themselves in that innermost place and just affirm their spirits there, higher spirit is there, and there's a cell of the divine unique to them. And you know what? When you just come from that place and you breathe through that place, when you wish something, it doesn't mean all your wishes are going to come true, but your energy is carried into the physical plane. 
if you change, you know, a negative thought into a positive one, you're going to get body differences as well. So I live my life from that place. And when I'm meditating, I just go through the God spot. I open up that, you know, sort of radiant Kundalini Mm. or absolute light from the God spot and move it through my body comes from source. It moves through. And I think that's the easiest way to live. And the easiest way we open from the inside to the out to balance ourselves. So it's the center of the heart center. Yeah. Center of the heart center. Yes. And you're basically saying to put your attention there. Yeah. Put your attention there and don't worry so much about pulling energy into your body. Think of that place as like where you interconnect with the source of all love. You can just let energy emanate from that center of the center through you and to other people. It won't cost you anything. It'll just fill you up with that best of all possible light and sound, by the way, for yourself and others. This was so fun. It was really fun. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Is there anything you want us to know before, before we say goodbye? No, I mean, just play with this divine center and, you know, uh, keep asking for more joy. I think we always get to ask for more joy to come from the inside to the out too. Awesome. Totally awesome. I have no regrets about this interview. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you did too. We spoke briefly here toward the end about human design, and I'm actually going to have a human design expert on the show next week, so that'll be really fun. You can check out the show notes for this episode if you want to find all things Cindy Dale, or if you would like to join us over on Patreon, there will be links to that as well, or you can just find me at patreon.com slash Joanna DeVoe. I'm starting to get in the flow of the Joe DeVoe show. Are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. 20 episodes in. It's feeling pretty good. (sighs) Until we meet again, always remember... Life is change, change is magic, magic is life, and the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.